Well, a very uh, good morning to you and a warm welcome, and uh, I guess also a very Merry Christmas to you as well. I do trust that you had a, a good day yesterday, whatever, however that might have uh, looked for you. And uh, for those who um, take part uh, in Boxing Day, a happy Boxing Day to you uh, as well. Uh, during the, the weeks of Advent, uh, the weeks leading up to Christmas, we looked at what we call the Songs of Advent. Uh, that is, various songs from the Old and New Testaments that look forward with longing and hope, that, that look forward to a coming day when, when promises would be fulfilled, uh, when hope would come. And now that Christmas has arrived and that hope and longing has been uh, fulfilled, we're going to make a, a slight pivot this morning. And, not, and, and, and so we're looking not uh, forward-looking uh, in terms of songs of Advent this morning, but at what might better be described as a song of Christmas, because it's a song sung after the arrival, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning I want us to look at a person, or a couple of people actually, who don't normally, uh, that we don't normally look at at this time of year, even though they're a big part of the Christmas story. Uh, if you think about it, uh, often uh, the things that stand out to us when we consider the Christmas story, the things that be we become preoccupied with are the big, spectacular uh, things in the narrative, right? You, you know, the angels seeming to appear, you know, to appear here, there, and everywhere, and virgin births, and, and strange stars in the night sky, those sorts of things. And it's kind of obvious why we focus on those things. They are quite spectacular and, and quite unusual things to happen. But the interesting thing to me is how when you read the text of the scriptures, they don't actually, you don't find all that much attention drawn to these different spectacular things. I mean, it's not like the gospel writers are going, hey, look, look at all of these angels everywhere. No, the angels really are, are there mainly to serve people. In fact, the thing that the, the writers are generally doing is, is drawing attention to say, look at all these people responding to the birth of Jesus. And a lot of those individuals are, are, are people that around this time of year, even though they're right in the story, get forgotten. They're not people we typically consider in the nativity story, which usually includes only two named people apart from baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph, and, and maybe there's a, a clump of shepherds and, and a clump of wise men, but they're the only two people with names in the whole thing. But that's not how the, the, the gospel writers tell the story at all. You have Matthew, who gives us over 50 names before he gives us the birth of Jesus, before we even meet any angels. And, and Luke, he sort of structures the, the whole story in chunks of, of looking at the reactions of a whole bunch of different people, often very ordinary people, people responding to the birth of Jesus. And so if you read Luke's account, uh, chapters 1 and 2 is a long section in which Luke says, look, here's, here's Mary's Mary responding to what's going to happen. Here's Joseph responding. Here's Elizabeth. And then there's, here's Zechariah. And, and, and then there's Simeon. And then there's Anna. And, and, and there are all these people, some of whom a, a lot of people in our society don't even know who they are. 
And it's as if Luke is, is saying, look at all these different people responding and expressing awe and amazement of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And so even though we tend to go, you know, look at the spectacular thing, and often the gospel writers are saying, have a look at these ordinary people. Have a look at how what Jesus is going to do affects them. And these people are very ordinary in so many ways. The couple who thought they'd never have children. The old man who sees Jesus and says, oh, now I can die happily because I have seen what I've come for. The 84-year-old woman who's been faithfully praying for decades. These are, are very ordinary characters. And Luke wants us to see how, the, how Christmas affects ordinary people. People like me, actually. People like you. People for whom the spectacular things don't. Of course, they don't happen every day. But the focus is on how Jesus, how Jesus will change everything for ordinary people. One of them is named Simeon, another one is named Anna, and we're going to read their stories now in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what's said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She didn't depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak, to, of, uh, speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of God. Father, we're grateful for the gift of your word that speaks into our lives, and we pray that you would take your word and our meditation upon it, our reflection on uh, these both remarkable and very ordinary events that we, we read in Scripture uh, regarding the incarnation, that you would speak to us and change and transform us by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the, the way Simeon responds to uh, the birth of Jesus. 
I find him actually one of the most relatable characters in all of the New Testament. I find him one of those people where I can kind of get into his shoes in a way that I can't get into the shoes of quite a few of the other people in the story because of the very strange things that happened to them. So I find it very difficult to imagine what it's like to have an angel appear in my kitchen and tell me that I'm going to carry the Son of God in my uterus. Frankly, I find it hard to imagine even having a uterus, so I don't get very far down that road. But I find this whole idea of like, what would it be like for, for her, Mary that is, I find it very strange. I find it a, a very difficult thing to get into a mindset of, of, of someone who's had that happen. I can't particularly imagine being the, the fiancé of someone who is pregnant but claims that she hasn't slept with anybody. And I certainly can't imagine believing her if that's what she said. So I find the idea of seeing myself as Joseph a little, a little bit difficult. I can't put myself in the place of the wise men either. I, I can't really imagine really what it's like to, to see a sign in the... You know, I mean, that doesn't happen in 21st century Sonoma County. I've seen a, 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 I've seen a sign in the stars, and now I'm going to travel for weeks and weeks to a completely foreign country to find out what it means. I can't imagine what it's like to encounter an angelic host in, in, in choir filling the night sky while I'm out in the field watching sheep. But I can't imagine this. I can relate to Simeon, and I can relate to Anna. And you probably can as well, because we know what it's like, no matter how old or young we are, to spend a very, very long time waiting for something that finally arrived. And we go, ah, it's finally here, all is well with the world. I've felt that. I know what that's like. I I might not have felt it to the same degree or with the same significance, but I can relate to the experience in a way that that I, to that experience, in a way that I can't relate to to, to many of the others. I can imagine that if I had waited decades for the coming of Jesus, having been told that I wouldn't die until he can't come, I'd react like this. I would react like a man saying, I can die happily. The thing I've been waiting for my whole life is here, and now I can rest in peace. So, I think of Simeon as a man with one thing on his bucket list and one thing only. Uh, I, I don't know if you have a bucket list. I, I don't. I, I certainly don't know how many things you're supposed to have on a bucket list if you had to make one. You know, I know you, they have those books, you, you, don't they? You know, like a thousand and one places to see before you die. Like, you think, are you serious? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get to a thousand and one places. But Simeon is a man with only one. He says, there is only one thing that I want in order to be able to die happily. But I desperately want it because I've been told by God that I'm going to see it. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. I'm going to see the Messiah before I see the grave. I know that because God told me so. I'm going to I'm going to wait and wait and wait and hang in there and pray and trust and hope and long for that day because when that day comes, I'll be able to say, okay, now I can go in peace. But I'm not ready to die until I've seen that. 
And imagine how you would feel living for years with the, the hope of one fulfilled prophetic word. Imagine how you would feel on that day that it suddenly comes true. Kind of out of nowhere, having, having stored up all of this hope focused on just one event. How you would feel and how you would celebrate on the day that it came. And that's how Simeon feels here. Verse 27, when the parents brought in the child Jesus... To do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I can go. I can die happily. The thing I've been waiting for all this time is here and now I'm done. There, there, there's nothing left for me to, to hope for. Lord, thank you for answering your word. I only wanted this one thing and now here it is. I can depart in peace. I, I think of Simeon kind of like Rafiki. You know Rafiki, the character at the start of The Lion King? I, I don't know if you've seen the, the original movie or the live action uh, recent movie or the musical or, or none of the above, in which case you probably haven't lived. But at the very beginning of, of all of the movie, you know, or at the beginning of the movie, all of creation is gathered around and sort of and, you know, an Elton John song is, is building in the background and the elephants and the leopards and the, all the characters, you know, they're, they're, they're all sort of gathering around. And then out onto the center of Pride Rock comes this old, I don't know, is he a baboon? I think he, he's probably a baboon. He looks like one to me. And, and he's holding a little lion cub. And in front of the, 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 the whole of creation, as they bow down in front of him, he just lifts up this child and, and sings, Na siyong ya, babicha, something like that. You know, there's a reason why Elton John didn't invite me to, into the choir, the African choir. But there's this song, and you know it, right? You know that moment. And I feel like Simeon is a little bit like a Rafiki figure here, because... Of course, he's, he's presenting a small baby. So yeah, he, he reminds me of, of that old monkey lifting up that baby high in the air. And you know, what parent, honestly, when, when their first child is born, doesn't want to sort of do that sort of thing? You know, you, you, you just want to sort of, you, you know, stand and present your, your, uh, your child, nay, sigonia, but, but, but then you look at what it means in Xhosa, or however you pronounce that Southern African language that it's sung in, and, and you look up the translation of the phrase, and you, and, and, and you think, I can't use that, because it means, here comes a lion, Father, oh yes, here he comes. I mean, your wife is not going to be particularly thrilled if that's what you sing as your child is arriving into the world. But then I think about Simeon in this case. And I think about Simeon who knows the book of Isaiah very well. He's quoting it right here. And so he knows about the promises of God and who this baby is going to be. He, he knows Genesis in which this baby is described as the lion that's going to come from Judah. And then I think, wow, there is a powerful significance to an old man lifting up a baby and saying, here comes a lion, Father. Oh, yes, here he comes. So I think of Simeon like a Rafiki figure who, whether that reference is intentional or not, imagine it isn't, is lifting up and heralding the arrival of a new world because there is a new king and saying, Father, here comes the lion. 
oh yes, here he is. And I think that helps me understand what it's like to be him. And also why at, at, at that point he feels, I can die happily now. Because I've seen what I've been living for. So I think of Simeon like Rafiki. I also think of Simeon like a World War II veteran that I once read about. I read his conversion story and testimony. He's a man who lived into his late 70s and, and, and when he died. And he lived a full life. And he'd seen a lot of life. He'd run a business. He'd run a charity. But you know, the big thing in his life was the war. And he saw a lot of pretty awful things, and it shaped and framed a lot of his life. You know, he had seen life like a lot of people of that generation have and did. And yeah, very late in life, in the last five or so years of his life, he, he talked about how he came to know the Lord Jesus. And it made a remarkable difference in a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways to his perspective on the, on the world around him. And he wrote several letters in his last few months and years. And they really contained uh, in them really his story and his testimony. And one, he just wrote the most beautiful thing where he said, As I look around the world, as I look at the world around me, I can see nothing but beauty. He'd seen and lived through a lot of terrible things, but he just spoke about the goodness of God and the beauty of the world that he could see. Almost as if he'd lived his whole life really striving and wanting something, and then in the last few months and years before he died, he found it, and he found delight that there is, that the delight that there is in God and, and the perspective change that, that comes from seeing the goodness of God in the world, and it just made all the difference to him. And, and he was effectively saying, I can now depart in peace. I have seen the goodness of God and the beauty of what he has done in the world, and it means I can die happily. And I think of, of Simeon like that, uh, saying, Lord, now you are, are letting your servant depart in peace. I feel like the thing I come for is here. So I think of Simeon like Rafiki, and I think of Simeon like this World War II veteran. I think of Simeon like Nelson Mandela. Uh, imagine waiting for many years, many, many years, many of them in prison, waiting for the day when hope will come and everything will change. And imagine living thinking, I can see it in my mind's eye. I'm trusting it will happen. And that's what gives me strength to hang in there. That, a, that the day's going to come that will change, where, where change will happen and everything will be turned upside down. And then imagine how you'd feel when it finally did come. And I don't know about you, but the thing that often struck me about Nelson Mandela was that late in his life, which of course is, is much that I can remember of him because I was relatively young at the time when apartheid uh, ended, but, but I was just, just struck by the fact that he was always smiling. I mean, it didn't seem to matter what, where he was or what was going on. He just seemed to have this kind of, this almost serene cheerfulness about him that meant he was just continually smiling. And, and I thought of that as I was thinking through the person of Simeon again and, and thinking, if you lived to be an old man who has lived all of their life with, with their hope pinned on one thing happening, and then it does, and, and you'd spend the rest of your life thinking, you can let your servant depart in peace. 
The day that he'd anticipated for so long was finally here. And so you can imagine him saying something a little bit like, my eyes have now seen the salvation that has been prepared in the presence of all the people. So I think of Simeon a bit like Nelson Mandela. And I think of Simeon a bit like John Newton, the man who was a slave trader for many years, and, but, and who then came to faith in Christ, had a radical conversion experience, wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, and then fought against the slave trade in his later life, realized the terrible things he'd done, campaigned against it, and then he finally lives to see the slave trade abolished at age 82 at, on the 25th of March, 1807. And later that year, he dies. He's like, I'm done. My chains are gone. I've been set free. You know, I was blind, but now I see. And it's like he finally saw the thing that, having lived with the guilt of what he'd done, he had, he, he had then campaigned for so long against it now, and he finally sees it done. And he dies happily. And it, and it happened just within a few months after the slave trade was abolished. And so I think about all of these, if you like, these four old men, Rafiki, the World War II veteran, Nelson Mandela, uh, John Newton, and I think about them dying effectively with a sense of happiness that now I've, now I've seen what I came for. The moment of hope has come, and it's changed everything. So it helps you, I think, of Simeon as a weird combination of a president, a hymn writer, a baboon, and, and a veteran, which is a slightly odd amalgam, but, but, but that's how I think of him. And the thing is, of course, that all of those individuals were captivated by something that ultimately wouldn't change the world forever. Sadly, we may say, but they ultimately didn't. You know, praise God for the end of apartheid, but racism is still a problem. South, South Africa still has a, a lot of challenges. Praise God for the abolition of the slave trade, but slavery itself lasted for decades after the, the, after the trade was abolished, and of course, in some ways, still flourishes today all around the world. Praise God for an old man coming to faith and finding joy everywhere, but people still get old and die, and there's still sadness around, and the, and, and, and the world isn't just beauty. Do you see, all of these individuals effectively pin their, their hope, and in a good way, they live for something good to happen, but ultimately, the day that they lived to see didn't effectively turn the world upside down and change everything. But Simeon here is rejoicing over something that actually did turn the world upside down and change everything. A child whose arrival was not just another turning point in the, in the circle of life, but someone who was going to overthrow the circle of sin and death and sin and death and sin and death that's been going on for thousands of years. He was hoping, holding the hope of the world in his hands. He was actually holding someone who was going to change everything. You see, and when we, you and I, achieve things that, 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 that we've lived for and fought for for many years, they're, they're never quite the game changers that we hope, right? And I don't, mean, I don't mean that in a defeatist way. I still want to live for things. I still want to pursue things. 
with ambition in God, but I know that ultimately, even when I get them, there will always be something else to do. I, re- I remember reading about another older man uh, several years back, again, uh, uh, another great uh, story of conversion, and reflecting back on, on, on what it was like to be a teenager when he was an old man. As an old man, looking back, reflecting on it, the guy tells a story and says, when I was a teenager, I had this big uh, sporting hero. Um, in his case, this rug- rugby player that he had this massive amount of uh, admiration for. He had posters of, of, of him up in his room. He had autographs, a signed ball, all that stuff. Just, he just hero-worshipped him, as a lot of young men uh, do with sporting figures for, for whatever, uh, or whatever it may be. And he's looking back at that story, and, and then he says this. He says, then, when I was about 14 years old, I got to know my hero personally. He was a keen angler, and I used to go fishing with him. On these occasions, I was able to observe him from an entirely different viewpoint, and I got to know the man and not merely the image. And then he says, And the nearer I got him, the smaller he became. And that happens, right? You, you know, if you've ever met someone that you, uh, you have idolized or just even looked up to, one of the things that happens is after a short while, you begin to realize that they're not quite what you hoped they were. And the closer you get, the smaller they become. And then he continues, but God eventually led that downcast schoolboy to a new hero. And I have walked with my Jesus for 35 years now. In that time, I've often disappointed him, but he has never disappointed me. I have got to know him better and better And the nearer I get to Jesus, the bigger he becomes. You know, people often talk about things, you know, people, events, achievements, elections, experiences, whatever it might be, as they are the thing that will make everything different so we can die happily. And they never are, except for Jesus, except for the child that Simeon has in his arms. Here comes the lion, Father. Oh, yes, here he comes. That's the game-changing moment that Simeon has in his hands that marks him off as different from any other individual of, of these other individuals that we've been thinking about. And so I find myself relating to Simeon. I find myself thinking, I can connect with the idea of thinking this is going to make everything different. But I also recognize that the thing that Simeon, or the one that Simeon held in his hands, genuinely did change the world in a way that nothing else does. Simeon knows that the child in his hands, he knows the scriptures, so he knows that this child in his hands is going to rescue the world. He knows that, that he is going to save Israel. But he knows the scriptures well enough to know that this salvation that he's holding in his hands is going to come through suffering. And that explains a slightly strange comment he makes in verse 34. This would not bless me, by the way. If I had just, I don't know, if I had just pushed out a baby, which, again, is hard for me to imagine, but if I had just pushed out a baby and then some guy, I don't know, said this, I, I would find myself a little bit troubled and offended. But, but this is what Simeon says to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a, a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many may be revealed. That, that's not the sort of thing people tend to say in delivery rooms or, in, or on Facebook when they announce they've had a baby. 
But Simeon doesn't want Mary to be unprepared that this wonderful moment of celebration, here, here he is, the lion father, here he comes. But you need to know, Mary, that the way this child is going to bring salvation to the world is going to involve pain and suffering for him as well as for you. And he tells her the truth. And he says, this child is going to be the cause of many rising. And in our case, from the dead, literally rising. But he is also going to be opposed and cause many to fall. Some people are going to hate him. And their hatred will pierce your heart like a soul, like a sword as well, Mary. And you need to know that. And so, if you are someone who finds Christmas to be a time of sadness and grief, and many of us uh, do for different reasons, you might find it comforting to know that Mary uh, had, had the same thing. Right? The, the light of the world is here, but the sorrows of opposition are still with us. Rescue is here, but it comes through sadness for her. Salvation's here, but it comes through suffering. And there will be people here for whom Christ, Christmas is the, is, is, is the most alone time of the year. Christmas is really, really hard. They cry more at Christmas than other times. But know if you feel alone or rejected at Christmas or grieved or bereaved at this time of year, you are in good company. Mary had to bring up this cute little brown-eyed, you know, dark-haired boy, bring him up, love him, dress him, feed him, teach him, the whole time knowing that he was going to suffer, and so was she because of what he was called to do. And so there is in the Christmas story, amidst all of the wonderful celebration, there is a dark side here, isn't there? There is a, a reality. There is a note of how it is that this child is, is going to save the world that's going to bring pain. And there is something of him and, and her living with you and me in our pain, even in that moment. But praise God, Luke doesn't leave us there. He doesn't finish the story there. He, he introduces us to this final person in, in the story, uh, to Anna. He moves from... Simeon, uh, Shimeon, which means heard, to Anna, which means favor, grace, right? So, so it, it's not just that God has heard, it's that God is going to show favor as well. And he introduces us not only to the old man, but to the old woman, the, the widow, widow who has been bereaved and alone for 60 years. And she has been praying and fasting and worshiping in the temple for decades, but Anna, like Simeon, recognizes the world-changing significance of this child. And she knows that despite what Simeon just said, that this child is going to save through suffering, she knows that he is going to save. And he is going to redeem. And he is going to bring freedom to the captives. That he represents the grace, the Anna, the, the favor of God in person. And, 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 and so she, verse 38, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
Christmas is a time when light, the light shines and where we have to, to recognize that the, the darkness is still going to oppose it. But ultimately, you have to recognize that the redemption is coming. And therefore, like Anna, you start talking to everybody about it. You say, do you know what God has done in Christ? Do you know? Can you see? Look how glorious he is. And that's the part of the call upon us at Christmas. Not just to enjoy all of the, the wonderful things that this season and this time brings into our lives. But it's, it, it, it's to, to hear and heed the call of, of Anna. That's partly why we make a, a big deal of the Christmas season. Because it's a season to invite people into the context where they might once again, hear and marvel at the goodness of God in setting creation free. And Anna knows that that's what this baby represents. So you may find Christmas to be, I don't know, a sparkly time of wonder. You may find it to be a challenging time of adversity. Or like many of us, probably a bit of both. But in the end, the impact of Christmas, the impact of this child who is lifted high by Simeon in his arms, the, the impact of Christmas brings salvation through the sorrow and redemption after all that waiting. And because the, the light has come, the salvation has come, the glory has come, because of that, we like Simeon can now depart in peace according to his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the miraculous gift of God made flesh in this child who grows up to be the Lord Jesus, to, who, who, can, who comes to die for our sins, to rise from the dead, to ascend in glory, to, to come back to judge the living and the dead. We are so amazed. This story never gets tiring. I cannot believe what it is that you've done in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for him. We and we, and we pray that we would, like this old man and this old woman, depart, even depart today in peace. Because our eyes, like theirs, have seen your salvation. The light for the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.